to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So, let's live our best lives, one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so glad. I love to hear wonderful. And I know this because you've shared it with me, but your bathroom is done. Like done? Is it done? Oh my gosh. Well, almost. We have stuff to seal the floor and the shower. Like you have to seal the tile and grout. We haven't done that. So I've got to do a really thorough clean so we can get it all sealed. And we have to do a little caulking and hang some blinds and that's it. I mean, it's done. I actually took a bath last week and I was just like, eight and a half months and I'm finally in the bathtub. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, that's good. I, I know it. I know it feels it's good. It's turned out wonderful. It's beautiful. It's such a, like a spa look that's, kind of yep, a bathroom. That's what I wanted. So, yeah. My own little spa. So it's apparently beautiful. I learned too. Apparently I have a color. You would have asked me like, do you have a do you have a color? Or do you have a color theme? Or do you have a decorating? Like I tell you, I don't have any decorating sense whatsoever. I happen to figure out that my kitchen bar stools are the almost exact same color as my bathroom walls. And then there's also the same color in my curtain balances around my house. So apparently I do have a color and it's a beachy aqua robin egg blue. Well, yeah. the paint on the bathroom wall is called robin egg. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a aqua blue color. That apparently is my my color. Well, you know what my color is? Navy. It's navy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's everywhere. Yeah. I'm wearing navy today with little flowers on it. But every room in my house has navy blue somewhere in it. Yeah. Well. And even in the beach house, navy blue. Because you can put all sorts of good colors with navy blue. Like you can get any mood you want with navy blue as the basis. Think about it. Nautical if you mix in red or if you put in a little seafoam green, you have the more beachy calm. It's true. Navy blue everywhere (laughs) I go. (laughs) So you guys can stop hearing about my bathroom soon. Yeah. Well, I've got new things I'll be sharing too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. And today we have a customer service shout out that was shared with us about a company that went above and beyond. The listener wrote, I was recently very disappointed when my eyeshadow palette cracked in several places. I had bought it from Jones Road Beauty back in May of 2021. I simply wanted to notify them that this had happened, so I emailed the company. I specifically said in my email to customer service that I was not asking for a refund. I just wanted to let them know that it had happened, and I attached a picture of the eyeshadow in my email. Well, I received an email from Sydney and customer service, and she apologized and said this is completely unacceptable, and we're looking forward to making this right. They are now sending me a new one, and I thought that was so nice of them. Thank you so much for your podcast. I enjoy listening to them. Marsha. Well, thank you so much, Marsha. Yeah, I love that kind of great customer service. I had a pair of shoes one time. They were fit flops. Do you remember fit flops? They still make them. I don't wear them anymore because I was really, when I weighed 210 pounds, I really needed squishier shoes. So I really wore them a lot when I was a teacher and on my feet all day. But one of them broke, just the flip flop just broke right there at my where my toe was. And they sent me a whole new pair. They're that's awesome. so great. I know. that That's the kind of customer service that just goes really above and beyond, and I love that. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. 
So before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And this week, I don't think we've talked about Dry Form Minds for a while, so I just have a story. Have I told you my story about Chad and red wine? No. I didn't think I had told it to you. I told it to somebody recently, but, you know, we love dry farm wine. And the reason they don't actually make any wine, what they do is they source it. They have a very you know, strict criteria, which you know, fits into my now cleanish lifestyle, but I didn't used to know what I was doing. And, <laughs> but apparently, you know, when I talked to Todd White, the founder of Dry Farm Wines. He originally came on um, the Intermittent Fasting podcast back in, gosh, it might have been 2017. And he told us all about what they put in wine, especially yeah. in America. And like if they don't have ingredients labels, for example. No ingredients labels. They're putting so many chemicals. They're putting colorings and flavorings and so much funky stuff in the wines. And I'm like, what? I didn't know that. You know, you just think it's grapes. They do something. They give it to you. There you go. No. So they have these criteria and they source the wine. And pretty much everything is European because they have more strict guidelines over there. So I'm a, I've been a dry farm wines girl ever since. And if you go to jenstevens.com slash dry farm wines, or dryfarmwines.com slash ifstories. That's my personal link there. You can read more about it. But Chad, we had some wine that like our financial guy gave to us at Christmas. It was an American red wine. And we were down on the, Chad likes red wine. We were out of the dry farm red. The new shipment hadn't gotten here yet. So he opened the American wine and he had like, you know, Chad has his little tiny like Chad glass of wine. And then the next night he had a little tiny bit too. And he said, my ears are ringing. And that happened last night as well, he told me. So for two nights, he drank the American wine. And it wasn't a cheap bottle of wine. It was a nice bottle of American red wine, but it made his ears ring. That is so interesting. Yeah, that's Chad. how Chad's, you know, I talk in cleanish about your bucket. If your bucket gets full, you have something for me. It's allergies for him. It's his ears ring, apparently. So um, It makes I like, me think there's some sort of neurotoxin in the wine. Maybe, maybe for whatever, you know, it's how it's affecting him. And I'm like, well, do you want me just to pour the rest out? And he's like, yep. So I poured out. It was over half of a bottle of wine. We poured it out because he's like, I'm not drinking that. And I'm like, well, I'm not drinking that. So. <laughs> If you're interested in trying Dry Farm Wines, they have subscriptions. And if you set up a subscription, you get an extra bottle of wine in your first shipment for a penny. So like if you get a subscription for six, you'll get a seventh one for free or, well, almost free, one penny. And again, that's jenstevens.com slash Dry Farm Wines. And, you know, it's pricey, but it's what's it worth to not have your ears ringing? That's the thing. So I'm at the point where I cannot drink cheap wine anymore. And it's worth it. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. Have you ever wondered what the purpose of life is? This is a common conversation in my house, and Eric and I have answers that are in complete opposition of each other quite often. And I often get frustrated because I don't feel like he is living his best life in my terms. But who am I to say what his best life is? Maybe his purpose and my purpose aren't supposed to match. Have you ever felt a little lost? Perhaps you're lacking direction, or maybe you're not sure if you're going in the direction that will leave you satisfied. This week, we are joined by author Nathaniel Garrett Novosel, the author of a book titled The Meaning of Life, A Guide to Finding Your Life's Purpose. He wants to help you find your purpose in your right way to live. Welcome, Nate. Hey, thank you for having me. Just tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're probably wondering how I'd write such a ambitious book, right? <laughs> so, oh yeah, because I'm like, wow, I I need to <laughs> recommend this to people already. <laughs> it all started when I was five. My father disappeared in the middle of the night, and I don't remember how I felt then. So, I, but I do know a year later, whenever I actually form memories and things. And so I went out to see him. He moved to California. I'm from Pittsburgh originally. I came home from that trip, and. I just felt like someone ripped my heart out of my chest and I felt completely like hopeless and worthless. And it was the, just the I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. <laughs> so he just up and left your family more or less. Yeah, he, he left the okay. middle of the night. Yeah. You yeah. said disappeared and this crime junkie went, oh my gosh, was he abducted? What happened? No, no, <laughs> it wasn't that he left. He just, he just left. Yeah, he okay. left. So 
I just was sitting there and I, I was just miserable crying my eyes out. And I have this like part of my brain that's like, like Vulcan, like it just hardcore, like that's interesting. And so I'm like, what is the point of all this? We're going to suffer is I, what I was thinking in my head. And then that part of my brain was like, well, that's a fascinating question. I wonder if you can answer it. And I'm like, shut the hell up. <laughs> <But> <laughs> At anyway. the age of six, you're having this, this internal yeah. dialogue about, wow. Wow. So I spent the next 20 odd years studying psychology, philosophy, religion, all these things. I'm trying to understand. And I also have, I'm mildly Asperger's a little bit. And so I don't make friends very easily. And so I was trying to use human psychology to figure out how to make sure I could fit in a little bit more as well. So it was between that and this whole big question, I was studying this stuff for decades. And I was leaving my job. I advised executives and I was leaving my job and going to another one. And I went back, this whole thing. But I was thinking about what, what would I say to someone else? What, what wisdom would I impart on someone else? And that question came back up again. Like I was thinking kind of more of a success thing. And I was like, well, you need desire, you need belief. And then I was like, yeah, but what's the point of it all? And that triggered the question. And it all popped into my head, the, the, the concepts that you need to live a meaningful and fulfilling life. And so then I was like, well, I got to write this down. <laughs> so I started writing this down and it's a completely scientific based view on philosophy, on why people do what they do, what gives them meaning, what drives their sense of purpose. And so that's where the book came from. That's how I came to, to write it. So backing up to that. when you were like six and you started having these thoughts at the time, do you remember, were you trying to find the answers to these questions because you were trying to understand what drove your dad to leave or you were trying to understand why you were having to suffer? I had the same kind of repeating thing where every time I come back, because I went out every summer, so, and it got longer and longer, but every time I'd come back, I'd feel like, like terrible. So I eventually kind of got better, but I'd sleep it off and then I'd feel a little bit better the next day and everything be okay. But yeah, that first time was just absolutely brutal. So I asked the question of what the point of all of this is, is it was really just like, I've never felt pain like that since. Uh, it's just kind of when you're feeling excruciating pain, it's what everyone does. Like, well, why am I suffering like this? Why am I putting myself through this? What's the point? Like, who cares? Like, why are we even alive? It's just that question you ask when you're in your worst moments in your life. I love how you said it's a scientific-based view of philosophy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Science and philosophy are different in the sense that the science is the how and philosophy is the why, right? When I went to write this book, I said, well, well, first of all, you have to define your terms, right? That's the basis of any, you know, good scientific inquiry. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean by meaning, right? I think it was like four definitions of meaning. There were a bunch of definitions of meaning. But there's like the definition of life. There's the goal of life. A lot of people conflate the goal with ethics, like how you should live. And then there's significance. Those are the four. And so a lot of those you can't actually answer, right? Goals are subjective. So like your goal is whatever you want it to be. So I can't say, well, here's what goal everyone should have. And that's usually what people mean when they say the meaning of life is what should I be doing? What, what goal should I be attaining? And I'll explain how it actually works. But that's the goal is, is whatever you want it to be. And then ethics, how you live, are based on the goal, right? So like if you want to run a marathon, you got to run a few times a week and you know gradually lengthen that run, right? I mean, that's how you achieve that goal. If you don't want to run a marathon, then you don't have to do that. So like, so, you, so I can't tell you what ethics to have unless I know your goal. And I can't tell you your goal because it's subjective. So what's left? It's those other definitions. It's the, the definition of life, the significance of life. And then I missed one. There's five, I guess, is purpose. Uh, what's the intent? And those actually have an objective scientific definition. And you can even go look up the word life in the dictionary. And the definition of life cannot exist without the word growth in it. The capacity for growth is actually part of the definition of life. And when you think about it, it's like, oh man, here it comes. What's the purpose of all living creatures? To grow, right? You grow, you reproduce, you die, right? And then your next generation grows. So growth is the purpose of all living creatures on earth. Okay, so you got the definition, you got the intent or purpose of every living being. So what's the last one? Significance, though at least the last one you could objectively describe. Significance, well, what makes life significant? Well, go look at awards. Who wins awards? People who achieve something, well, what did they do to achieve it? They had to grow into the human beings that could actually do the thing that other people can't do. They grew past, you know, they grew to the highest heights of a particular field or discipline, you know, best picture or, you know, Super Bowl or whatever it is. They proved that they grew into the people that could actually achieve that achievement. So growth is the center of everything we understand as being meaningful or significant. That's really, really powerful. And of course, I love thinking about it both ways. You know, we grow physically, but we're also growing in every other aspect. So really, in life, we want to grow. 
from wherever you are right now, grow. And I'm not just talking about in size, (laughs) but with everything else, that's really big. Well, and I think Jen and I are probably very growth-minded people just in everything we do and the way we talk and the plans we make. And it's all about growth and knowledge and being stronger and more knowledgeable. And and we use that to take that next step in our journey or whatever. So while you were talking, things were clicking in my head because I mentioned my husband in the intro. If I ask him, what's the purpose of life? He'll tell me to struggle until you die. And when you talked about growth, I started thinking, he doesn't have a growth mindset. Does your book teach a person how to put the pieces in place to help them change their outlook on life? Yeah. So basically what it does is there are eight chapters in the book and each chapter has a particular concept you have to master to find meaning in your life. And then at the end of each chapter, it asks you questions to for you to internalize that concept for yourself, for your own life. And then it gives you exercises to do to actually define what your life is with regard to that concept. So just to kind of rattle them off for everyone, the eight concepts are growth, experience, desire, belief, emotions, ethics, support, and choice. And so if you're wondering, Nate, you just said meaning of life is growth, and what's those other seven things for? <laughs> well, yeah, you need those other seven things to find meaning, to find the meaning in your life and to find your life fulfilling. And so the idea is that you identify the growth areas, that's the first chapter, then you identify experiences to achieve that growth, then you build the desire for those experiences and for that outcome, then you build your belief. And I'm going to stop there because that's the answer to your question is that do we talk about the book about what the beliefs you need to have are to be successful. It's intentional that I didn't tell anyone what, which ethics to hold. It's not my place to tell you that. And I don't tell you what beliefs to hold, but I do tell you that you need to have ethics and you need to have belief. <laughs> and so I explain why you need those things and how they work and then how to derive them for yourself. But I don't tell you what which ones to have. So it sounds like so you broke the chapters out and then you have, it's kind of workbook design. So you have a little assignment per se at the end of each chapter mm-hmm. yep. that J- Jen writes her books in the That's same format. <laughs> I was a school teacher for 28 years. So I know that just by reading something, you're not going to make a change. If you just, you know, the reading is important because that activates your thinking about something, but you have to actually do something with it. Yeah. Exactly. And so they build on each other. So you start with, you know, your first chapter and you work through that and you identify areas of growth or that you need to grow. And then I'm assuming like once you identify that, you go on to the next chapter and then it helps you build on that. Is that exactly? Okay. Yeah, that's that's exactly how it works. Now, what's interesting is I'm a little obsessive, so I wanted the book to be like perfectly structured, and it's like so every chapter has the same five sections, <laughs> and I write for each one. And so basically, what it goes through for each of those eight concepts is it just explains how does this concept fit within the meaning of life, and then it talks about uh, for for like all living organisms. Then it goes to humanity. Then it goes to you as a human, as an individual human. Then it goes to what happens if you don't have it, because you know scientific discovery is not about confirming your own beliefs. It's about trying to disprove them and failing. And then so what would happen if you didn't have that concept is the test, right? And then the the last one is what do you do if you don't know where to start? Each of those chapters, it takes you on that journey. I actually, I got a review once and someone was like, I don't care about how living organisms evolved. I care about like, how how do I live my life more meaningfully? I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to explain it to you scientifically because otherwise, why should you believe me? You shouldn't unless I can prove it. And I prove exactly how these concepts evolved in all living creatures. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I know the desire exists in a single-celled organism. Yeah, actually it does. So, I, and I can explain that, but I do it, and I do explain it in the book, but I uh, help you unfold it in that way. Then I ask you the questions and do the exercises so you can then take that information and apply it to your life. So it's sort of big picture, and then you bring that in to just yourself. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, what does this look like in the world? The single cell organisms you mentioned are your cat, right? I'm thinking, you know, like desire. Does a cat have desire? Yes. (laughs) You know, for many things. I was looking through the list and thinking about that. Yeah, that that is pretty much universal. Even like a plant. Tell me if I'm off base here. Like, you know, a plant has a desire to grow towards the sun and it part of its growth. And that's what it does. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that some people, um, they misconstrue, they, they think like consciousness is required for certain things. And it is required for a sense of meaning and purpose in your own life, which is why humans are the ones who bother to ponder any of this stuff. But it's not necessary for organisms to grow. It's not necessary that for them to have desires because they'll eat and you know have sex and sleep and so forth, so on and so forth. They all have the impulses to do that, right? And they're all making assumptions, right? So like if when you play peekaboo with a child, they assume that you disappeared off the face of planet Earth when you hide your eyes. <laughs> because right, that's, that, right. that's their assumption. Yeah. Until, if until they, they learn... can't see something, they don't have object permanence yet. Object permanence, yeah. Way and... back to my early classes at college. But they, they think once it's not in their view, it disappears. Exactly. And so their beliefs change as their intellect grows, right? But they have beliefs. Uh, so like everything, you know, they're all making assumptions. And so all these things are core to the essence of life. But more importantly, they help you find meaning in them. Because if you don't have them, then you don't have a will to live, right? So like, if you don't have desire, you don't want to do anything, you lie in bed, and you just, oh, why don't I just, you know, kill myself? Like, I mean, what's the difference? You know, I don't want to do anything. If you don't believe that you can have what you want, you're miserable. <laughs> if you don't live ethically, it doesn't count. I mean, my example, I mean, just happened a few weeks ago, you know, certain very famous, in fact, my favorite baseball player since I was a kid of all time, not elected to the Hall of Fame. Why? Steroid era. Now, why is that? And you have two camps, right? There are two ethical camps. There's the ethical camp of it was unethical to do that, so they don't let him in the Hall of Fame. You see what I'm, where I'm going with this? Ethics, lack of ethics takes away the significance of the achievement, the significance, the meaning. So it doesn't mean anything now. They're saying it doesn't mean anything because you didn't do it ethically. So that's why you need ethics to have meaning. They're not the source of meaning. They're just a filter or a requirement. And then you have the other camp. And what do they say? Oh, everybody was doing it and all this other stuff. They're using these rationalizations to say, well, because everyone was doing it, therefore, while it was might have been unethical in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't completely unfair, and so therefore they deserve to get in. They use these rationalizations to say, well, it's not as bad as it seems, and therefore it's still significant. So it's all about positioning the ethics in a way that allows you to, to get the significance or meaning in that achievement in life. And it's the same thing with it, with anything you do, like whether you go and steal something or if you like earn your, your money, for example. You know, so as you were talking about that, it started me thinking, so like this person had a strong desire to win, right? They had a strong desire to be extremely successful in their sport and and they were driven. Their thought at the time was, this is what I need to do to win. So where does balance come into this? Because clearly the desire and ethics were not in balance there. Yeah, so there are two ways you can look at balance in this topic. One is balance of growth areas. And uh, you mentioned a bunch of them already, but I'll rattle some off, right? You can grow physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, socially, relationship, familial. Those are all forms of growth. There, there are a bunch of them, but that's a whole set, right? So you get the balance between those. That's a trade-off, right? You only have 24 hours in a day. <laughs> and so you got to say, okay, if I go to the gym today, I'm not going to be reading a book during that time. Maybe I can listen to an audio book, try to get the best of both worlds, but I'm not going to be able to do certain other things while I'm doing the other things. So you just have to pick. So that's one form of balance, but you're right. The other ones, they're kind of more like a virtuous cycle or a death spiral, right? So they can help each other, they can hurt each other, right? The most powerful relationship is the one between your desires and your beliefs. Because your beliefs basically can squelch your desires. So if I say, oh, I really want that car, but I can't afford it, well, the belief that I can't afford it, forget about truth for a second, what, you believe you can't afford it. Let's say you were a millionaire and you believe you could afford it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's true. It matters because you don't believe you can afford it and that you want this car, you then feel sad because... Because the belief squelches, and, yeah, ah, well, and then you start, you know, you know, uh, sour grapes, you know, Aesop's fable, right? Oh, sour grapes, those grapes are sour anyway. Oh, that car sucks anyway, you know, or I, I, it would be a rough to maintain, or someone might steal it, or you know, you start to rationalize it to to make you not feel so bad about that desire. So yeah, so your desires, your beliefs, and your emotions, and I mentioned emotions there, those are all interrelated, and so they influence each other. And then support, you know, supports growth because you can grow more. You need support and um, ethics together form what you know as cooperation. In order to cooperate, you need to have ethics, and then you need to support. Those are the two parts of cooperation. And then choice. Choice, I mean, you basically make a choice to do any of those things, right? You can choose what you want. You can choose what you believe. You can choose what ethics you hold. So yeah, they're all interrelated. I wouldn't say it as much as balance as in harmony is probably the better word, in my opinion, for that type of what you call balance. Sure, yeah. 
Yeah, that harmony is a much better word for that. I have never known a woman who's ever said this to me. This seems to be a man thing in my 20s and 30s where they say, oh, I won't even live to see my 40s. People don't live long in my family or, you know, whatever. And so when you start talking to them about things like, you know, saving money or saving for retirement or buying a house or furthering their career, they're like, well, why? it doesn't matter because I'm not going to live that long anyway. That comes to belief. That's their belief. So they have no growth or desire or can I don't a know person if I've ever heard anybody say that. I'm like trying to I'm like thinking, has anybody ever said I'm not gonna live that long? No. We we're optimistic livers my, around well, me. <laughs> my ex husband and my current husband have both told me that. Really? And I have I, worked with men who have told me that. Think, I don't think I've ever heard anybody. Oh, everybody say dies that. of cancer in their forties in my life. Ooh, so yeah. I'm not gonna live that long. Why should I eat healthy? I'm gonna die of cancer anyway. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine having that kind of defeatist attitude about life and living. Is there a point where a person has to, you talk about identifying opportunities for growth or your growth potential or whatever, but is there a point where a person has to work on belief before they can work on growth? Yeah, so it's a good point. What's the number one thing that a self-help book tells you to do? It tells you to eliminate negative beliefs. That's like the entire self-help industry is based on that one particular fact of, you know, believe that you're better than you can be or that you can be better than you've ever been before. That's pretty much self-help in, in a nutshell. That's true. <laughs> you're number one. <laughs> it's trying to knock down beliefs because... I mean, look, the, the truth of the matter is there are things you can control and there are things you can't control. And so it's very important to know what those are and then focus on the things you can control. The thing is, is that if you believe you can control, uh, you know, there's something called uh, superstitions, right? If you believe you can control the uncontrollable, it's like, okay, well, what's the harm of that other than being weird, like wearing the same pair of socks a hundred times at your sports games and smelling <laughs> like, like terrible. But other than that, like it's not too much harm. But what's the harm in believing you can't do something that you could do if you tried hard enough? Well, then you don't do it and you don't succeed, you don't achieve the thing that you want, and you're miserable. So those are the beliefs that are most harmful. That's kind of the thing that's going on there. Yeah, you do have to work on your beliefs in order to, I mean, beliefs are probably the biggest part of the whole thing in terms of like causing you to behave in certain ways, right? Let's take nihilists, right? I only pick on one belief system and that's nihilism because I think it's kind of silly. In the grand scheme of things, because goals are subjective, nihilism saying there's no inherent meaning in life is actually technically correct because yes, it's goals are subjective. But when they say that life has no meaning, it's like, well, you set the meaning. So if you don't have it, that's on you, man. It's not, not on anybody else. It's not on the Good universe. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, would you really, I mean, come on, let's be real here. Would you really want someone else to tell you what the purpose of your life was? Hell no. Like, you wouldn't want no. that. Like, like hey, hey yeah. Nate, you're supposed to go work in a coal mine for the rest of your life. Well, I don't know. This sounds cool. Like, well, that's, yeah. your, point. that's your purpose. Like, okay. My I, answer I like... to everything is who says? Says yeah. who? Who says? Yeah. I'm like, I don't like tight spaces. I don't like the, the, the snow. I don't like any of that. Like, well, Though too bad. I would that's your throw out that someone working in a coal mine could have a very big purpose outside of that work. Like their purpose is maybe their job is to be the person who uplifts everyone who works in the coal mine with them. And their purpose is to be, you know, someone who makes the job place better. So... Yeah, exactly. And my point wasn't that like coal mining is not a good thing to right, do. I'm just right. saying for me, like going into a dark place and like like hammering things for like eight hours a day and like getting all covered and stuff, that would be my like worst nightmare. Uh, yeah, just like sa- I don't like sales either. I don't want to be doing sales. So it has nothing to do with the job itself. But then there are people like, oh, who cares? You can just go do that and it's fine. And it's like Some people great. like that kind of a job because they, they don't want to have to think about. They don't want to make decisions. They, they like, just, they just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So, so that's that we're different. We're all different. So our growth areas are going to be different and how we want to grow are going to be different. So for me, I'm an advisor for as a profession. And then I wrote this book, which basically gives life advice. So like, that's my inherent skill set. I can analyze problems and then I can explain them. <laughs> that's about all I can do. So I bet that would drive a lot of people nuts. So just like maybe that person who's working in the coal mine, probably that Nate, Nate, what are you doing? This just sounds boring. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's, that's your opinion. I mean, that's because we're different and that's fine. But yeah, it is about finding what your purpose is and, and pursuing it, not about, look, I'm even go so far as objectively speaking that like even a higher power isn't supposed to be like dictating what your purpose in life should be. 
I don't take a position on religion for the purposes of the book because I don't I don't want to leave atheists and believers both to be able to read the book and get value from it. But what I would say is that like let's assume for the sake of sake of argument that that's true that they're not there to dictate it to you. You know they're there to help you figure it out or find it, and that's fine. Don't look outside yourself because finding meaning is an internal thing. It's not an external thing. And something I want to pull out that just really jumps out at me. It says emotions are an indicator of whether you are growing. And I want to talk about that just a little bit and how someone feels can let them know whether they're actually making the growth. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, and it's my favorite thing. If you think 500 years from now, if there's one thing that comes out of the book that I think might actually stand the test of time and be taught in schools or something, it would be this formula. This is a formula as certain as 2 plus 2 equals 4. There are no exceptions. It is universal. And the fact that I wrote it down and I've never seen it anywhere before, it kind of boggles my mind. Emotions equal desire plus belief plus experience. That's the formula. You can dissect any emotion you've ever had in your entire life into those three components. Okay, say it again. Emotions equal desire plus... Plus belief plus experience. And if you notice that emotions is the fifth chapter and then the previous three chapters are desire, belief, and you see where I'm going? (laughs) And experience, you get to see where I'm going with that? It all fits together. But no, this is a true story because everyone knows basic psychology, right? There's stimulus response, right? Every Or biology even, not even psychology. Biology, stimulus response, right? That's experience triggering you to have an emotional response. That's what everyone knows. But we're not existing. In a, we don't just sit here until something stimulates us and then we react. That's not how we live as organisms. We have impulses to go do something. And then we also have assumptions we make about the world, about how to proceed to do it without dying, right? <laughs> so the desire and the belief are also part of the equation. Let's take jealousy. It's my favorite one to use. So jealousy, why do you feel jealous? It's three components. I want a person or thing. I believe that I deserve that person or thing. More importantly, I believe that someone else does not deserve that person or thing. And then I see that other person that I don't think deserves it with that person or thing. And I feel jealous because like, well, I should have that thing and that person should not have that thing. So the world is all totally messed up. This is terrible. That's why you feel jealousy. Now here's cool. Let me show you in real time. Change the formula, change the emotion. So let's change the formula, the belief formula from I believe that that person doesn't deserve it to I believe that that person does deserve it. So let's say I'm looking at Elon Musk and going, oh, wow, that guy's amazing. And he's you know changing the world and trying to solve global warming, make electric cars. That's amazing. He deserves all of that money and the sock and everything. Am I jealous of Elon Musk or do I admire Elon Musk? I admire Elon Musk if I change that belief from, oh, he doesn't deserve that, to, oh, he absolutely does. So you can literally control your, people are like, oh, you can't control your emotions. That's total bunk, man. <laughs> you're, you're, I, I agree. <laughs> your emotions, your desires, your beliefs, and your experience. So you just need to change those three things to not be jealous anymore. Stop looking at the thing that makes you jealous and you'll be less jealous. Don't stop believing that you deserve it and that other person doesn't and stop being bitter. Or just don't want the thing. Sour grapes. That's, you know, use your belief to change your desire, right? Like, oh, that person's probably a jerk anyway. (laughs) So I don't, you know, who cares? And then you change your desire. So you can change those three things and your emotions will will change. Now, I'm sorry, I didn't actually answer your question. So let me answer your question. What does this have to do with growth? (laughs) I didn't answer, sorry. All emotions exist on, I mean, they're all different, but let's just assume that they exist on some sort of spectrum. It's the degree or it's the, oh, I always forget how I say this. The direction and speed. There we go. The direction and velocity of growth. So if you're happy, good direction of velocity of growth. If you're afraid, miserable, depressed, hopeless, that's negative velocity and direction of, of growth, aka harm is what people you know, know that as are, right? So all emotions exist somewhere on that continuum, although that's not a perfect line because you know jealousy is a weird one. It's not like a degree of happiness or unhappiness. But, but if you're afraid, you're afraid that someone might harm you, right? So you expect that someone might harm, so you feel afraid. If you're excited, you expect something good to happen, so you are expecting some sort of growth enabling experience, like going to see a concert and see your best friend or you know whatever. So like it's all exists on that continuum to tell you, give you immediate, continuous, real-time feedback as to your state of growth. Okay, that makes sense. I could apply it to like when I decided to start this podcast, I was embedded with fear, fear of failure, fear that nobody was going to listen to it, fear that I wasn't going to be good at it. And then I just pushed through, pushed through. We started it. We started recording. We started putting it out. We started getting feedback. And then that just like flipped to excitement and possibility and everything just kind of pushing through and just thinking positive got us to where we are well you, know, you a had year the desire 
you had the belief that you could do it, and then over time you gathered the experience that has given you the emotion of, I don't know, confidence? Would that, yeah, is that an emotion? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's a feeling. Is confidence an emotion? I don't know. I guess. Confidence, the initial yeah. fear. Well, a confidence is a belief in that you can do something. So it's a, it's a belief you can do something. But and excitement. then the feeling. Excitement the feeling of the confidence. Yeah. yeah. The reason why you had fear is because you had beliefs. It doesn't actually matter what's real in terms of your emotions. It matters what you believe. So if you believe that it's going to fail, it doesn't matter whether that's true or not. If you believe you're going to succeed, it doesn't matter if that's true or not. It just matters what you believe to cause your emotional that's state. That's huge. Right. Yeah. We may have had an argument yesterday at my house about about <laughs> someone was angry and it wasn't me. <laughs> and I said, well, you're choosing that. <laughs> Somebody didn't like me saying that. But I really feel like you choose your response to how to something and you mentioned before that you know you could choose something different if you want to there's argument about how fast you can change it right i do believe that it is possible to change it quickly and if you ever want evidence just look at a child have you ever seen a child like just crying and crying and crying and then they see ice cream or something they go right. and then they just run over yes. there and they're all happy and now yeah. it's like and people are like, oh, no, I'm sad. It's going to take me forever to get over this. I'm like, have you ever seen a kid that can change yeah. their emotions on a dime? And now all of a sudden true. they're happy and they completely they forgot, forgot they were they upset. Were yeah. yeah right. So so humans, you just get you just acquire baggage. You just acquire baggage over time and it causes you to lose that understanding of how those kind of things work, I think. And, and you kind of hold yourself in through looking at the past at those emotional scars that you have. So I see this being really beneficial for people who feel stuck in their careers and they're like, well, this is what I do. It's what I've always done. I make good money and I can pay my bills, but I'm not but I'm not happy. And I think in most cases they are afraid to make a step forward. So like briefly kind of walk through that scenario. How would a person change that to achieve what they want? I didn't make this a rah-rah book, so I didn't put in there like, oh, if you want to change your and you're worried, then just just do it. You know, I didn't do anything like that. I explained more of like there are trade-offs. There's a legitimate reason why these people are worried. The nickname for it is golden handcuffs, right? Is that you're stuck to your job because if you were doing something else, you would make a lot less. And so I don't sugarcoat that. Like, like look, that's a legitimate situation. So I'm not going to tell you that that's not a possibility. Basically, what you need to do is prioritize. And most people, they prioritize two things. One, if they want to do something real, but they're okay with what they're doing now. Let's say it's because they're making more money now than they would if they changed. Then they prioritize two things. One is like the safety and security of the, whatever job they're in, because that's different, right? That's just the inherent fear of the unknown. And then the other is because you know, I'm making money and I don't want to risk that. And that's a legitimate concern. I'm not, I'm not going to say, oh, don't worry about that. Just go do it and it'll work. But I will tell you that in terms of meaning, so from a pure meaning perspective, if you don't find your job meaningful, which by the way, I have this whole cool blog post about ways to make your job feel meaningful, even if you don't like exactly what you do, because you can like the outcome you get. You can like what you do. You can like the outcome you get. You can like the money that you get that then helps you deliver other outcomes elsewhere in your life, like you know, help send your kids to college or something. I mean, those are all reasons why you can find meaning in your job, even if you don't like it. But let's say that you want to find meaning in your job. I wrote a chapter in this other book called The X Factor, Spiritual Secrets of Successful Executives and Entrepreneurs, I think is the whole title. I was a one writer of it and I did a chapter and I talked about how to how to find more meaning in your job and career. And there are really two steps to it. One is to inject as much meaning into what you're currently doing as possible. And then the second one is to dissect what gives your job meaning and purpose and then try to make steps to move toward to make it more meaningful. I mean, I'll just give myself, for example, I didn't even know what I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, well, how do I make what I'm doing right now meaningful? So I was like, okay, well, I, I help people. I was telling myself, oh, I help executives and I help provide advice and I help make sure people have jobs and make sure they don't have, you know, they don't have to get laid off because people don't make bad decisions as a company. You know, there's a lot riding on what I do. And so all of a sudden I had more meaning. But then it was also what I want to do. It's like, well, I want to get more senior in this. I want to provide advice to leaders. I want to be kind of leading efforts and things like that. Then I also wanted to write the book. So I moved toward that as well. You basically just have to make a decision as to what you're willing to do and what trade-offs you're willing to make. Like me, I didn't quit my job to go and do my dream of writing this book. 
I wrote the book in my free time. <laughs> so, because I was like, well, I know this thing isn't going to make anything. Like, I mean, books don't make money. Like, 95% don't even sell 5,000 copies. There's no way this is ever going to do anything. Okay, I'll just keep my job and write it on the side. And then I had my fulfillment doing my personal thing while, while still having my golden handcuffs job. But I mean, they could do that, but you can also take the leap and say, hey, you know, find people who are in that field who make a lot of money. And then that way you can knock down those beliefs that you can't make money in that field. You can apply to jobs. Just try to go into that field and see and, and only quit your job if you get the one you want. These are all options for you. And the point in the book that I make is find what you want, build the desire for it, find what you believe, and then try to make the beliefs as constructive and helpful to your success as possible and go after it. So that's what I would recommend. It's not as sugarcoaty as like drop everything now, but I think it gives people a perspective that there is a real reason for optimism and not just, you know, pie in the sky optimism. What I really love about about your story you just shared is you had something you wanted to do. You wanted to write this book, but you didn't quit your job and write the book. You did it because you loved doing it and you wanted to do it. And so you don't have to find your purpose or meaning of life in your job. It can be beyond your job. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle because they think that they only can get their purpose or their meaning of life through their day-to-day paycheck. I have a 22-year-old son who's struggling with this right now. He is an artist and a musician. And so that is where he finds his meaning. But he has not monetized it (laughs) yet to be able to support himself. So he is working a job at a restaurant that is not clearly the meaning of life for him. And yet I'm trying to help him understand that your meaning of life is beyond it the work that you're doing life for him while he dabbles in his music and art interests yeah exactly yeah and you're seeing that now in the aggregate in what's called the great resignation right everyone kind of leaving their jobs and saying oh you know covid did that a lot in fact i moved as a result of covid because like what am i doing with my life i'm gonna live on the beach and, <laughs> and, and enjoy every weekend and live in warm weather and not because not, i was you know like i don't want to deal with snow and cold weather and stay inside for six months people have those moments right and the great resignation is a result of that kind of thinking of like what am i really want to do with my life and you're absolutely right there are kind of a few different ways to look at it one is yeah what you do doesn't define you as a job it's just how you provide value to society so you deserve the money that you get in return to be able to pay for things that you want there's so many people today that it just drives me absolutely nuts that they don't realize they're like oh i'm just being made to work and blah 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 it's like no you know someone made that shirt you're wearing someone made that house you're living in someone made that thing that you 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 eat or that you the game you play with like so you have to do something back for society you can't just like be a moocher man so like i love that so so that's your that's your that's your part so like you could do whatever you want as long as it provides value to someone else and they're willing to pay for it and then you earn the money and then you can do whatever you want and so yeah can you line it up so that the thing that you love to do is also something someone's willing to pay you for. A lot of people, they call that ikigai. It's not exactly what it is, but everyone knows the Venn diagram of ikigai. It's like what you're good at, what you love to do, and you know that sort of thing. And there's those four, I forget the all four of them, but, but they have those things where they overlap is your purpose and, and your job. Yeah, sure. If you can find all of that, that's great. But, you know, it might not be the case. It might be that today you do this and you focus on other growth areas. So I always tell people this, like, look, there are people who sacrifice their personal lives, like, you know, wife, kids, you know, or spouse, kids, excuse me, and stuff like that. And they choose to work 20 hour days and they make hundreds of thousand dollars a year. And then eventually they go and they, they go to another job that doesn't work as hard. And now that they have this extra savings and then they have a spouse and kids and then they go off and do those things. So you can put other growth areas on hold. Everything's a trade-off. It's I'm going to focus on my career growth now. And then in three years, I'm going to go and focus on my relationship growth. And then nine months later, no, I'm kidding. A year or two later, I'll work on the, on the familial growth. That was a bad joke. But anyway, and you can choose which growth areas you want to focus on. And so I think people early when they're just getting their first job, it's like you're earning money, you're getting skills. Skill growth is so underappreciated. Like you're learning how to, you know, the, the old saying, like you're learning how to show up on time, how to work hard, how to deal with conflict, how to help people deal with customers and all that stuff. And so then you go to something else, you go to something else and go to something else. You're always building on it. It's not just I'm showing up to do some mindless task and then I'm going to go and take my money and go do something else. Everything can be seen as a growth opportunity if you look at it the right way. Even when you find the job you love and your purpose, like like I know I'm living my purpose now and the work that I'm doing, there are going to be parts of it that are tedious that you don't love. Being able to understand that you can have something that you're loving and it's your purpose and you get joy out of it. And now you got to sit down and like, there's still going to be gather some drudgery your tax sometimes. documents together. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's going to be drudgery in life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think my biggest takeaway from talking to you, Nate, is 
that it all comes down to choice. We all have the choice to decide, like you may feel stuck, but you're not stuck. Nobody's stuck. You have the power to unstick yourself. Exactly. The biggest in your face contrarian point of making the entire book is that people who say that the meaning of life is to be happy or happiness are objectively wrong. This is not a debate. This is not an argument. It's objectively a false statement. (laughs) The correct statement, which a lot of people use, is do what makes you happy. That's more accurate, and I would agree with that 100%. Because as we mentioned, emotions are a feedback mechanism and indicator. It'd be like saying, what's the purpose of going to school? In fact, let me ask you that. What's the purpose of going to school? What would you say? I would say the purpose of going to school is to learn how to learn. So the purpose of school is to learn, right? Why didn't you say the purpose of going to school is to get an A? Because that's insane. That sounds so cynical. The point of going to school is just to get the good score. It's like, that's what happens. People saying the point of life to be happy is saying, oh, the point of, of life is to get the good score. It's the same thing. It's like, no, it's not. That's an indicator. Yeah, you want an A because that proves that you learned just like you want to be happy because that proves that you grew in the way that you want that mattered to you. I'm sorry. The reason why I'm telling this story is because you mentioned the point about like you don't have to love every part of your job. And so happiness and meaning are not the same thing. They're not. They're objectively not. You can have a job uh, task, excuse me, in your job. So your job overall can make you happy. Your life overall can make you happy. You might be doing something that doesn't make you happy. But it's meaningful. Why? Because it either gets you something that makes you happy or helps someone that you care about or whatever it is that that's important to your meaning. And yes, you can. Happiness is a choice. As we mentioned, you can you can change the formula. So you can change the experience, desire and belief to get to one where the equation equals happy. And you can continue to work on that. But just remember, don't try to hack it. The other reason why I tell people that happiness is in the meaning of life is because people conflate fulfillment and pleasure. You know, those are two different types of happiness. And fulfillment is long term. You know, I I grew, I I became a better person. I helped the world around me. Pleasure is, you know, you can go get high, right? Like, oh, I can go do some drugs. I can feel amazing. But that doesn't, that's not meaning. So, because it's not the same thing. And so it's just important for people to make that distinction because people who say the point of life is to be happy, then they go do drugs and gamble and all this other stuff and then go, why why don't I feel happy? It's like, you're chasing pleasure and not fulfillment. So that's that's important. That is huge. Yes. Well, we are out of time. But before we go, tell our listeners, how they can find you. Sure. So my website is yourmeaningoflife.com. I've got social media, either at Life the Book, or I think some are like at the Meaning of Life book or something like that. Those are all the major social media sites. I've got video recordings in my blogs. I've got blogs for these different concepts and how to dissect them. But And then the Meaning of Life and the X Factor, the two books that I currently have on Amazon right now are both available on Amazon. All right. I'll have links and show notes. Thank you so much, Nate. Thank you. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, I want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. While many podcasts are supported through listener subscriptions with companies like Patreon, we decided to go a different route. Jen and I love to interact with people in online communities. I mean, it's how she and I met. And it's how we have met countless other people that we have become great friends with over the years in real life. We love having a safe space to talk about life, ask for help and guidance from other like-minded people, and just getting to know people in our community. Connection is so important. Not only can you interact with Jen and me in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members as well. I'll be hosting monthly Zoom hangouts where we can connect and talk face-to-face, and we are also going to be doing some fun giveaways just for our VIP community members. You can join us in this new VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. And there you can choose your monthly membership contribution of either $4.99 or $9.99 per month. And you can change to a different tier at the end of any month simply by managing your own subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. Even if you don't want to participate in the community, we would love for you to show your support by signing up for our VIP community so that we can continue to bring you future life lessons. It really does make a huge difference. We're at the point right now with the number of members that we have as of the day that we're recording that it is paying for us to produce two episodes per month. So that's a big help. So it is a big help. Have four, depending on the month, four or five Wednesdays in every month. So we're getting there. Our goal is to have the community support the production costs of the podcast. That would really be a big help. So we're up to two. Two episodes per month are funded by our VIP community. And thank you so very much to everyone who has showed their support and joined. And there are also a lot of people who showed their support through, you know, one time through the PayPal. Right. 
contribution. And I, I want to thank all those people as well. We because appreciate, we appreciate you. every bit because, you know, we love to do the podcast. But as I've mentioned before, I also want Sherry to have an income from it instead of it just being a fun hobby. It is a very fun hobby, but <laughs> it takes a lot of time. Yeah, as I say, it's a very time consuming hobby. It's, it's a fun hobby, but <laughs> it is a hobby until we start, you know. <laughs> anyway, thank you, everybody. So now we have our listener-led lesson, and today's listener-led lesson comes from Brooke in Southern Illinois, and she has a combo customer service shout-out and product recommendation for the community. She wrote, Hey, Jen and Sherry, I want to rave about DDP yoga for a second. I purchased a subscription for the program before Christmas. It's an athletic yoga program designed by former professional wrestler, Diamond Dallas Page. I always wondered where the DDP came from. Yep. Now I know. Now you know. Diamond Dallas Page DDP. So it's not your mama's yoga, as DDP says. I've been seeing results of a friend on social media and doing my own research. The friend actually knows DDP and is a cousin of his wife. So the program also felt more legit to me with that connection and hearing some of the background story. I needed to try something new, and I'm obsessed. On the morning of New Year's Eve, my free trial ended. I was charged the yearly rate as scheduled. They were running an amazing holiday discount code. When I logged in, it said that my free trial had expired and wouldn't let me into my selected program. I'd been charged and didn't know what to do. I searched the online health library and couldn't figure it out, so I submitted a support request. It was New Year's Eve, so I figured it would be January 2nd minimum before I had a solution. Nope. Within two minutes, I had a super friendly response in my inbox from a tech named Robert. He suggested trying one tiny tweak in the app. I did it, and it worked. I would never have noticed this on my own and would have spent the holiday and who knows how much time after trying to figure it out, worrying I was missing my scheduled sessions and missing out on the points for each. The program is super cool, kind of video game style, where you earn points and a position on a leaderboard when you complete workout sessions. Robert was fast, super helpful, and very friendly. I gave him wonderful feedback when DDP Yoga sent me a follow-up. I also ordered their heart rate monitor to accompany my workouts. You get more points and can see throughout the workout how hard you're working so you can make tweaks. I ordered it on December 29th, and it was in my hands on the 31st. It felt like Amazon speed. So really, this customer service review has both that and a recommendation for a super cool and very different kind of workout program. That's the kind of thing that hooks you. I love it. All right. So DDP yoga, everybody. I used to be a DDP girl. Did you? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. I have all the DVDs, but I don't have a DVD player anymore. Oh, but yeah. But now it's all either. online through an app. I moved on to just conventional yoga, but it is actually really fun. And if you have a hard time, like staying calm enough to do yoga it's a great like transition program well i'm not good at being upside down do you have to go upside down a lot i get dizzy well i mean down dog where yeah, your hands I'm not are good on at the... ups- all that upside down stuff makes you dizzy I, huh? i've always gotten motion sick my whole life as a child and hmm. my inner ear like i can't do rods that spin around yeah. i can remember like being 12 years old and like i'm gonna throw up you on have a, a ride. very I mean, sensitive vestibular system i do i really interesting do. yep Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener, and today's quote comes from Lynn Zander in Wisconsin. She wrote, Hello, Jen and Sherry. I listen to your podcast every week, and I love them. Today, I was listening to this week's podcast, and I heard Sherry say at the end that you are out of inspirational quotes. I have one for you that is my personal favorite, and I have never heard this before. The quote is, Forgiveness is the scent that the violet leaves on the heel that crushed it. I always try to move on when I'm hurt by someone and maybe do something special for that person because I've always believed in the golden rule. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the scent that the violet leaves on the heel that crushed it. Beautiful. Yeah. Because, you know, you're like, I want to get even. And I still need (laughs) quotes, listeners. So please email them to me at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. By the way, I think one of your dogs is barking, just FYI. Well, um, I think can my it. hungry root delivery just came. Aww. I so heard somebody knock on the front door. If you hear a dog, that's, that's Lulu. Sweet Lulu. Oh, my gosh, she's precious. <laughs> <laughs> she's learning to howl. 
Oh, no. Well, (laughs) listeners, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join us in the new Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP, and you can be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And we would love for you to leave a review on iTunes or Spotify so that we can reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com, and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.